The Disciplined Investor is underwritten by Interactive Brokers Global Analyst. Global Analyst helps you find new global investment opportunities to diversify your portfolio and discover undervalued companies. Try Global Analyst today at ibkr.com slash GA. And this episode is sponsored by Our Crowd. All around the world, tech companies are innovating and driving returns for investors. Our Crowd analyzes companies across the global private market, selecting those with the greatest growth potential, then brings them to you. Join the fastest growing venture capital investment community at ourcrowd.com slash TDI. That's ourcrowd.com slash TDI. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. It's the last month of 2021, and well, not the best start. Is it the Fed or is it Omicron? A little debate. Wrapping up the Back to Basics series. Thanks for all your comments and a great guest coming up next week. We got some fun topics today. All this and much more on episode number 743 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. saying goodbye to 2021 only a mere three weeks left or so into the year that had a lot of hope and promise and man did it turn out to be a great year for equities well hopefully saying goodbye doesn't mean that we're saying goodbye to profits and goodbye to the opportunities i don't think that's the case although there is some shakiness concern fear and uh, a lot of selling going on in markets right now we're going to talk about this. Hey, welcome to the Disciplined Investor Podcast. My name is Andrew Horowitz. You know me, for those of you that have been around, for those of you that are just starting out, just coming on board, finding out, hey, what's this all about listening in? This is a place where you come to understand more and educate yourself about finance and stocks and markets and investments, all with the end purpose of one day, someday, having that financial independence that you are looking for. We're all looking for it, right? Some way or another, another whatever your particular number is, is it 100000 saved up in the bank in order to get to your first investment? Is it a million dollars so you can semi-retire? $5 million where you can buy that great NFT and retire fully at the same time? Whatever it is, listen, that's what you're here for. That's what we do. That's what this is all about. So stick around. We've uh, had some fun, I think, over the last few weeks getting back to basics. And, you know, I know it was helpful. I know you got something out of it because I got a lot of listeners writing in and comments about, hey, you know what? That was a great tip. What an unbelievable idea. I love that you talked about this, which is really unusual for uh, discussion on and kind of more of an investment-based show. You know, we talked about the idea of 
making sure you're covered with the fab five of estate planning. We talked about the basic core principles of investing and why and how and where and what to invest in at different times and really then broke it down into the investment choices that you have, whether it's mutual funds or ETFs or otherwise stocks, bonds, individual, you know, covered uh, uh, calls and options. And we discussed a lot of that and really broke it down to, I think, bite-sized pieces that were able to be digested very easily by you so that you can then be a more confident investor, more confident about your future. So listen, make sure you, if you haven't done so, listen to the last few weeks where we really went uh, back to basics Four different episodes, four hours, essentially, give or take, of information packed into there with some guests on taxes, on investing, et cetera. So get that. Uh, a couple of other couple of quick little small, minor, quick housekeeping items. I want to mention that there's a webinar that we're doing. And, and the last few we've had have been really uh, just a great response. I think it's going to be important in particular this one that we're going to be doing on December 15th, 5 p.m. in the evening Eastern time, because we're really going to reflect back on what were the themes and what were the things that worked during 2021 and see if that's going to follow along into 2022. Is there going to be the opportunities that are the continuation of trend or is that trend changing? What are the opportunities now that we know that the Fed has kind of changed their tune a little bit, and where are we going from there? So kind of a look back to 2021 and a look ahead to 2022 is what we're going to be doing. You can register now. Go over to the disciplinedinvestor.com on the right-hand side. And in the show notes for this episode, episode number 743, if you're listening on a mobile device, you can probably open up the show notes and click where it says register here. You can go register. It's free. Uh, make sure to be there get in plenty of room because it's well it's a webinar so there's unlimited room technically but we'd love to see you there uh we could also be answering any questions that you may have so that's something that uh, you may want to take part in one more thing next week uh well we got let's see we got ross gerber coming up ross is scheduled i want to get deeper into the area of evs and crypto related investments and how crypto could be impactful related to the metaverse and some of the hot new trends. So make sure to quote, tune in to next week's conversation with uh, Ross Gerber. He's got a lot of good information there. Uh, I thought we would start today since we, we did cover a lot of other ground and really didn't get into market-based conversations over the last few weeks due to the Back to Basics series of, of what's going on. The recap of the month of, uh, of November and kind of an ease into what happened last week Ugh. and what could be ahead. So here's a quick recap. Ready? Up, down, down, up, up, down. Up, down, down, up, down. Huge swings. The VIX blowing past 30 into 35 territory, give or take. Highest in almost a year. Uh, finished the day Friday pretty well up there. But... One of the big issues is really not only the VIX, only the concern over volatility, the fear gauge, if you will, but what happened with treasuries. The 10-year week and a half ago or so hit 1.7%, the top of the range, and miraculously, whoop, like that, it came right back down in a week to 1.37. 
on Friday, that's something to behold. A, a move by the VIX as exaggerated as it was over the last week or so, and then to have yields come down in the face of the Fed saying that they're going to slow down their asset purchases and the potential for the dot plots to show that, hey, you know what, we think there's going to be a rate hike a little bit sooner than anticipated. And rates moving from 1.7 to 1.37 in a week's period of time, extraordinary. Now, the real story this week was, I think, about how the various news items, though, really shaped and put pressure on the markets because it was very apparent. You didn't need to get into major analytics for this. <laughs> it was so apparent that every time there was a news item that was related to either another lockdown or a country that has found exposure to this new COVID variant or whether it was related to the Fed and the Senate testimony. I mean, markets were jittery. And there was a lot of movement. Both ways we saw that, in fact, the, the, the exaggerated moves on the downside were met by exaggerated moves on the upside pretty much throughout the week and then reversed right after that. Now, the big issue right now, clearly, that I can see, well, the thing that really spooked investors was the COVID resurgence, right? Border cross, uh, cl uh, closings, uh, lockdowns. Then we had Fed minutes and Fed testimony and a budget vote and earnings that came out. And pretty much everything was taken as bad news. Very much opposite of what we've seen in the past where pretty much any kind of news item was like, okay, it bothers me a little, but let's buy anyway. And that's what we've been seeing with the markets for some time. You look at companies that reported earnings like Asana or DocuSign posting decent numbers and another time, their actual earnings and their outlook may have actually been something that was like, oh, that's good. They're doing fine. Guiding down, sandbagging maybe. Maybe looking out and trying to see where they are, but yet they're going to put out something in their guidance that they're going to probably beat. No, not this time. This time it was like, oh, they're slowing down order bookings and, and, and we're finding that the outlook is slower than we're seeing right now. You know what? Hatchet it. Take a hatchet and just whack it. And these high price to earnings or high multiple cloud names were obliterated last week. Those ones with related to cloud productivity or any kind of high price to sales multiples absolutely getting squashed. Was it all because of the Fed? Is that what was happening? You know, we saw the earnings of Salesforce come out, and there was some concern about that. Salesforce had one of their biggest drops in years after their numbers came out. And it wasn't so much that there was any significant miss on their earnings. Again, it was just that they were pushing out a guidance number that was lower than expected, where growth would be slowing down in the future. And I think we all have to agree, and I think we all have to respect the fact that much of what we've seen due to the pandemic and due to the very unique circumstance that we find ourselves in with regard to how we had this total closure of the economy and then everybody looking to do business in a different way and then the reopening of the economy and then the incredible amount of supply chain congestion that got caught up with it, higher prices, et cetera, as well as the fact of uh, people being on payrolls and not wanting to go back to work because the government was paying for it, all these crazy dynamics that entered into the situation really benefited 
the application universe, like the Salesforce, the Asanas, the DocuSign, you know, you know those, the Twilio's. These are the companies that really did well because there was a major build-out going on. And again, the point I was making when I started this was, you know what, maybe they did the old pull forward where they brought forward a lot of sales throughout their, their time. And what happened was that it really wasn't sustainable. So that's partially the problem, but let's get back to where the real problem, really what's going on right now as I see it, because there's been multiple reports about this, something I've been talking about. I talked about the sinkhole on DH Unplugged last week or the week before. I tweeted it. If you haven't followed me, I talked about the sinkhole issue, that my concern was I saw a deterioration of the underlying conditions in the market where we saw the just a very basic advanced decline line daily, even when markets were up, advancers were below um, the decliners. You know, the, the, the fact is that we saw more stocks that were taking a, a price move lower on days because what was happening was the entire market was being dictated how the indices moved by the mega cap names out there. And when you see that there's a deterioration of the underlying condition in terms of price movement, advanced decline line, and there's a divergence, that's a big concern. And that's what I had been seeing. Now, is it something that will last forever? Does it lead to an absolute crash? No, 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 no. But something to be aware of, that there may be some opportunities in some of these names coming up. And I'm going to get back to DocuSign just for a second. DocuSign down 42% on Friday constitutes an all-out crash of that stock. There's no question about that. Asana down 28%, which I think Asana is an interesting buyout candidate in the future. Somebody will take them over. They have some great functionality. And I think that's something to, to kind of watch for. Um, but also when we talk about the, the reasons, because everybody wants to understand what's going on, I think briefing.com had some good commentary. I'm going to read that to you. Um, and they said, if you're still under the impression that this sell-off is all about Omicron or the COVID variant, Ask yourself why we are seeing value over growth up the most today. This is on Friday since February. And the Dow holding up much better than the NQs. The Dow Jones Industrial Average doing a much better job at performing on Friday, down about 65 points or so, just a, a couple of maybe 25 basis points, where the, the NASDAQ was down like almost 2%. They concluded that the Fed is the story here. Goldman Sachs came out on the jobs report saying that the firm is now expecting the FOMC to double the taper amount in the next meeting. And they're going to be moving it up to $30 billion per month, which would wrap up the QE around April. They'll stop the bond buying. That is the move the first expectations of a Fed rate hike into the Fed fund futures market. And they're pricing a 54% probability of a rate hike in May and at least three hikes during the year. That wasn't the expectation just a few months ago. They concluded that the selling pressure is more about the hawkish pivot from Powell on Tuesday last week. Um, they assumed that ri rising interest rates would, would take the software group down, but the Fed pulls the strings. Interest rates are down due to fears of the Omicron variant, but the Fed has signaled it will raise rates in the spring and summer of next year, which means that speculative growth party is over. Margins and valuations will be more relevant 
than just growth. Oh, yeah. Yes, there's definitely concern with the variant and the panic about global growth slowdown. But, you know, I guess we got to ask, well, on the heels of this now, that we know of this information, what's next, what to do, how do you deal with this? And I think that we really have to look at the past situation where there was rate hikes. And all these people were trying to tell you that, hey, you know what? Don't worry about rate hikes because the Fed is um, you know, not going to just run away. They're not going to simply just raise rates and let the markets fall. Part of their general mandate is price stability. And really how we, we recognize that and what we look at that is well, the, the price stability is not only about prices of, of items, of goods, it's also about equities and markets and bonds and investments. And you know, they want to make sure that people still have a wealth effect. I mean, we know that. The question is, do they have control over that? Different story entirely. What we're looking at right now is something very unique. And and when I start to look at the circumstance last week and how I wanted to work this into portfolios where we had cash available for clients, it led me down a particular path. So it led me to moves, right? looking well, at certain example. instruments. But first, before we do that, that be beneficial. let's hear a word from Interactive Brokers because they have a new product available. It's called Global Analyst, and it helps you find new global investment opportunities to diversify your portfolio and discover undervalued companies that may have greater growth potential. Now, Global Analyst lets you essentially compare the relative value of global stocks by region and country or industry, and it's pretty easy to use. What I want you to do is find out why smart investors choose interactive brokers. You can try Global Analyst today at ibkr.com slash GA. That's ibkr.com slash GA. Check that out. It's a really cool product. I think you'll really find a lot of use in there. I also want to talk about our crowd because we've talked about this that, you know, there's a lot of different ways to diversify yourself. And one of the ways is to go outside the normal markets. And our crowd has investments from personalized medicine to cybersecurity to robotics, quantum computing, lots more. In state-of-the-art labs, startup garages, and anywhere in between, our crowd is identifying innovators so you can invest when growth potential is greatest. When's that? Well, it's when it's early, right? Early in the process. Our crowd's accredited investors have already invested over $1 billion in growth tech companies. These are the growing technology companies out there that they're really looking for. And many of their members have benefited from the 46 IPOs or sale exits of their investments. Now, you can truly diversify your portfolio by investing early in innovative private market companies at Our Crowd. Join the fastest growing venture capital investment community at OurCrowd.com slash TDI. That's OurCrowd.com slash TDI. Now, where I left off on that cliffhanger was this idea of where are we going? What are we doing? What's happening, right? Which direction? What should we be looking at with all the things that we know right now, with the idea that we have a situation where there is a, uh, a concern over the Fed, 
where the dollar's moving, where yields are moving. So over the last week or so, as the Fed was coming up with their new posture, uh, I was thinking about it, and we went through some scenarios and looked back in history and looked at where we were right now with the U.S. dollar that was spiking up pretty well for some time and before the yields really fell down. And I worked on some models. I worked on the dollar cost averaging, as I mentioned to you, into the positioning, right? We talked about how we have a, a, a two-tier or a two-prong, I guess, approach to dollar cost averaging, where one is an absolute time-based model that if we cannot find opportunities, we still want to get some money into the portfolio that's maybe in cash over time. And the second one is an opportunistic style where we're looking for, hey, you know what? Markets are dropping in this sector pretty significantly and there's value there's value there. There's, there's, there's reasonable levels of, of belief that longer term, that will be a higher number in the future. Therefore, let's invest in it. And on those two different types of dollar cost averaging, I was looking at, and I was looking really hard at uh, bonds. I was looking at fixed income. I know that may not be exciting, but probably that's what a lot of people were doing. As you noticed, that there was a lot of buying that drove rates down last week. Now, I decided that I really wanted to look at where are we impacted the most and will we find if the dollar is peaking out right now because of the fact that there is a significant amount of concern that the Fed's going to be raising rates. And, uh, you know, the fact is that we are also seeing a safety trade going on that will eventually, in my opinion, you know, start to decay. So what that, that, all, all that information, a few other data points, led me right to emerging market debt as well as unhedged foreign bonds. And what do I mean by unhedged foreign bonds? That means that there are portfolios, mutual funds, ETFs, that have foreign bonds, non-U.S. based, it could be either corporate or it could be government or sovereign, if you will. And oftentimes those bonds and those portfolios are denominated in the, in, in the currency of the country where the bond is from, local in other words. So if I'm buying a bond of the Italian government on a 10-year basis and getting 1% or whatever the exact situation is, even though they're at negative rates. But if I'm buying bonds in that area, I want to buy them in euros. Or if I'm buying Japanese bonds in yen. Or if I'm buying it from any other country, I want to buy it in the local currency. Now, you could also have other funds that do the exact same thing, but what they do is they hedge out the currency back to the U.S. dollar so there's no currency risk inside the portfolio. However, when I see a circumstance like we've seen recently with the bond market really um, you know, kind of moving towards the higher level of yield that was a couple of weeks ago, and on top of that, the, the dollar is starting to rise very significantly, and a lot of others' uh, currencies, of course, is a cross-currency transaction, sagging in response. I'm thinking, you know, the opportunity here is to move into unhedged bonds, ex-U.S. So the U.S. dollar has been spinning recently higher and, um, you know, not thinking that we want to be in a hedged position. So once it looked like we were peaking, we started to implement the process of loading up the position in both emerging market bonds and in fixed income, non-U.S., local currency. And looking at what happened on Friday, that worked out pretty well over the last week or so. 
We're just looking for an edge, right? That's that's one of the things that we're looking for is an edge. And I know that fixed income is only a component of a portfolio, and we can rotate from hedge to unhedge if we want. But still, as the U.S. dollar is probably coming over pre under pressure for some time, and if you're a believer, for example, in things like um, in crypto, or you are believing that the Fed is going to continue to debase the currency of the U.S., or that the U.S. economy is weakening under this and other administrations, whatever your belief is. I'm not saying any, any of that is mine. I'm saying if you believe any of that, you have to be led to the fact that you want to be in other currencies potentially. Now, that begs the obvious question, is any other country better? I mean, we're seeing that things around the world are not so great either. So is this just a case of the, the cleanest shirt in a, in, a, in a closet full of dirty laundry? And everybody's picking the U.S.? Is that the issue going on here? Possibly. But I think that the, the big issue we really need to focus in on right now is the idea that, you know, we're not going to see, and, and it's, we're not going to, I don't think the government nor the Fed is going to allow for rates to really spike too much once as they have control. And the dollar, really, we can't see it go much more um, away from this level, go a little bit, uh, the height of the of the channel that we're seeing right now. It's just not good for anybody. As the dollar moves higher, it's really not good for emerging market stocks. It's not good for some multinationals in some circumstances. It's really not good for foreign bonds. But again, it all depends on how you are investing. If, in fact, you are in a fully hedged position, a currency hedged position, which you can get through an ETF, you can get through a, um, a mutual fund, then really not much to worry about there. However, is that something that you want to take on? Do you want just the underlying bond exposure or do you want to have the opportunity to make a few percent on top of it from the currency if you invest in the right times? Think about that. Look at the options. And I think it's really important for you to know one thing. When you're investing in an international ex-U.S., foreign, emerging market, whatever exactly it's called, mutual fund ETF, pooled asset that holds any kind of either stocks or bonds, understand that the potential is there for you to have currency exposure. Now, for example, you invest in a Japanese Nikkei ETF that tracks the, the Nikkei. Now, you look at the prospectus, you look at the holdings, and essentially everything is local currency. Therefore, if there's no movement, zero movement in any of the underlying stocks, the Nikkei stays flat for a month, but the currency of Japan moves up or the dollar moves down, you make a profit on that because you're based in U.S. and the currency is in, in yen. The opposite is true as well. So the risk that you're taking when it comes to the, the currency is something you have to understand, which a lot of people, I think, miss this point that there is currency exposure risk in a lot of foreign investments. And it's something that you could actually put to your advantage by utilizing in the right place in your portfolio. That helps for diversification purposes. It also helps from optimization purposes. And it finally helps for opportunity purposes. So I think that was kind of um, a big issue that we did last week. Question is, where do we go from here? Are we going to continue to invest in EM on the equity side? I say yes. I think the value there 
is much better. But wait, hold the phone just for a second. What if? What if we have a situation where we're seeing that there is a, 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 a significant amount of um, movement in the, the global economy that is based on some uh, a new lockdown or something. Well, that's going to change the environment. But is that really going to happen? I think right now we're just all spooked out at the timing of all this new variant, this, this Omicron. Um, but something to, to think about. So, um, we went over that, uh, what, 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 what we did last few weeks, how it led us to emerging markets. It led us to an unhedged dollar. Think about those kinds of things in this environment. And and what do I mean by, what, what do I mean by this environment? And let me give you a bit of a recap again, go backwards and we'll go forward of kind of where we were in the end of November and how things have changed so rapidly because we had the big Fed headlines, right, that were going on, developments that um, they're going to end their tapering sooner, et cetera, okay. And the fact that Jerome Powell has been renominated for a second term, okay, that's a big issue. Then we have the Omicron uncertainty, this narrative that's been floating around of, a healthy economic expansion in 2022 was kind of dented a little bit by the introduction, this kind of out of nowhere introduction of this Omicron variant. And now there's some new questions on what is the impact on the global economies. Okay, so that sets up two major points when we're looking at what's next moving ahead. And what we found was during the month, for example, of November, consumer discretionary did well throughout the month as the um the robust economic condition was out there. Things changed towards the end of the month. Consumer staples were up 1.5%. Materials up 2%. Real estate up uh, 1.2%. Technology was the big winner, up 5.3% for the month of November. Even utilities were up one2 Communications down 3%. Energy down 2.5%. Financials down 3.4%. So maybe this is just a reversionary trade going on right now. So right now that we have all this good news that's behind us and some of the convergence of other news that is coming in that's concerning, now investors are keeping kind of an eye on things like, well, what's that going to mean for retail sales? What is going to be with the outlook for inflation if people pull back a little bit? The CPI that's coming out next week, that's going to be a big issue as we've seen some of the hottest inflation out there. So that is, is a big issue right now. GDP, kind of weak to say the least. I mean, 2.5% is going to be probably the number that we're looking at, which is on a real basis, kind of negative, right? Real GDP is negative at this point, if you think about it. Employment, well, we had a weak jobs number on Friday, but yet a 4.2% unemployment rate, which is pretty good. So right now, when we look at things like um, all the components that go into looking at how the economy is going to do in the future. Employment is one of the strongest things out there. Industrial production is rising. We saw October's numbers do pretty well and reversing the drop that we saw in the month before. Housing starts are very robust right now. Um, existing home sales are looking pretty good. New home sales are, are were up 0.4%. So everything is doing well. I mean, we saw that even durable goods orders were kind of... Um, they were lower than it was the previous month in the latest update, but 
what we're seeing is nothing dramatic. You know, we're seeing 0.5% decline, you know, something like that. Not a big deal. But what we're seeing is the, the continuation of what we've seen for a while is that everybody's on pins and needles. Every piece of good news is, is basically bought. Bad news has been, been thrown aside except for last week. But one of the things that we also investigated and we really flushed out during the DH Unplugged podcast this week was the idea that, you know, the timing of these drops is really interesting. They usually start around, give or take, the 18th of the month, 19th, 20th. Over the last year, the major, aside from the one in January of 2021, all of the major gap-down days for the S&P 500 were right around that third week and the end of the third week of the year. Now, what is the significance of that? Well, you know, those of you that trade options, that is options expiration third Friday of the month and options expiration has been having a significant impact on markets. And I think that's something that we really need to talk about because there is a lot of volatility that has kicked up and the list of names that took the shellacking last week was extensive. And right now charts are definitely your best friend when we see this kind of volatility. When you see the VIX pop above 25 or so, you need to really start looking at, okay, where's that level where I'm going to bail, cut back, or where I'm going to add on? In this kind of environment where we're seeing a deleveraging going on in a time that we've seen some of the greatest margin uh, put on by portfolios, by investors in investing, that needs to come out of the market if we are seeing a bit of a turn is something you really need to pay attention to. Now, we had been uh, pretty much at a, at a maximum position for our equity exposure in the TDI managed growth strategy, by the way. Now, one of the things that we did do is over the last few weeks, as we had a few stocks that were running hot, I mean hot, okay, extraordinarily hot, carving out some of the profits taking some of the profits, rotating them down, adding to the cash position, keeping a hedge on, but a small hedge, because if you were trying to time the market last week, it'd be pretty hard to get it right. One day down 1,000 points, next day up 500 points, then down 500 points, then up 750 points, right? This is the kind of movement we're seeing. And the significant impact of all the convergence of what's happening can be best seen on a chart. So start getting used to, if you haven't, brush off the old chart books and take a look at what's happening on the technical analysis front. I think it's really important. Again, charge your best friend here. Oh yeah, there's one more thing though. There's one more issue. It's been bugging me. Let's talk about Kathy Wood for a second. Let's talk about the ARC funds. I think that uh, some of the market condition right now, frankly, is her doing. When I say her, I'm not blaming her. I'm blaming the strategy that they employ. And I'm also giving her credit for just as the rise of certain areas of the market should be credited to her and their strategies and strategies very similar. I give credit where credit is due on this. But what I think this is all about, hear me out on this, is the strong arming of the markets. Pushing billions of dollars 
into names on their drop, on their move lower, with the hope that they can create a short squeeze on the sheer amount of money that's pressed in in the hopes that will keep prices higher usually has an inevitable conclusion. But the playbook that I think that's being used right now and, and popularized by Masha Yoshi-san from SoftBank is all about utilizing out-of-the-money call options, pushing that hard, going in and making sure that uh, you're buying the stock underneath it, forcing the sellers of the calls to then buy the stock as well to make sure that they don't get screwed on a crazy move up, which then brings in the idea that look at this stock moving and the momentum traders buy in, short squeeze it, and then get out and run for the hills. Make it on both the, the calls and make it on the move in the price of the stock itself. Now, when they did this at the beginning of the year and when we saw that destructive move of the markets back in January, I believe it was, I think it was January 27th of 2021, this was all fueled by massive speculative buying of options way out of the money on major names. If you remember that pop we saw on Apple and Google and um, Tesla and all these names popped like, wow, how are these moving 6 7% in a day back in January? Reality struck, and then it dropped pretty significantly as the wind came out of the sails of those kinds of strategies. I think there's something to be said about what Kathy Wood is doing where she's going in and when a DocuSign drops buying $100 million or $500 million or whatever it is of the stock and these guys looking to really get in on the high flyers. Because when you look at the performance of the ARC funds this year, it's more than miserable. There's a 50% differential between the S&P's performance and ARC, the ARC fund this year. 50%. ARC's down 25%, S&P's up 25%. Give or take a few points, whatever day it may be. And that's a big issue. I think the playbook that they're playing inevitably is problematic when there's no more money to play. When, let's say, liquidity dries up. When, let's say... Not as much money is available due to the fact that people are fully invested to begin with. When stocks move down and margin calls come in. When we have a week like this with a thousand point swings in the Dow Jones and industrial average one to two days for the S&P and NAS with the VIX closing above 35, Bitcoin slouching at the end of the week and pretty much the only place to go, the only place to hide for cover was bonds. And over the weekend, the crypto universe got cracked again with Bitcoin and others down 22% at one point, some down 25% at one point within an hour of trading over the weekend this weekend. Something's up. But I'll tell you, let me tell you this. With all of that, my concern about what the way that SoftBank plays the markets and screws around and Kathy Woods, the idea that she could just buy stuff and think because she's buying it, it's going to go up, you know, have this kind of investor godlike thought process about what you're doing. Come on. You know, saying that a stock, yeah, she's been right on a few things, no question about that. But you know what? The proof's in the pudding long term. That kind of volatility, taking a 25% hit, 6% the day before yesterday, 6% again the day before, that's pretty rough movement 
for a, for an ETF, and I'm not sure what kind of risk management's involved there. But with all of this, with all the things we've talked about, I still don't really see a much different fundamental change that should be doing that much damage to many of these stocks. Again, we've we've t- talked about this before, uh, and I've talked about it a minute ago about what I think is going on in terms of, yeah, some of the wind is coming out of the sails. I get that. There's no question, and we can't try to force our way into this. But what you need to do now when you're starting to see this kind of number, I'm going to focus back in on DocuSign, down 42%. That is pretty unbelievable with a beaten raise. Their numbers were pretty good. Outlook soft, but not that terrible. What you want to do right now is start focusing in on that watch list, trimming the excess and reducing risk, especially if you're leveraged. If you're leveraged in in your portfolio, you need to start thinking about bringing that back. Get that watch list going. And especially when we're dealing with the charting right now that it says your best friend, you want to look for where that, those basing patterns are. And just this week, I was thinking about when, as, as stocks were moving around and I was out to dinner and somebody said, you know, I don't understand. Why do higher rates in the future have a problem for growth stocks? I mean, look, rates plummeted last week, right? So if you were looking for your same old, same old to put on your watch list, you need to think about this. Maybe we need to rotate a little bit. The, the thing is that when you look at the environment that we're moving into, a couple of things are possible. There's a re-rating of, of value in two circumstances. First, when you see price earnings and price sales, um, price to book, or whatever the metric you're looking at, is it going to get adjusted one of two ways? First is the long-term rate outlook. We have a situation where rates are going to be going down for an extended period of time. Rates are going to be going up for an extended period of time. Either one of those changes the dynamic and calculation when you're doing a discount modeling uh, calculation evaluation. Because... If rates are going down, the growth is worth a lot more. If rates are going up, the growth is worth less. Very simply, in a kind of crazy example, if I told you you can get 10% in a savings account right now at the bank, would you prefer that, the guarantee, or investing in, in stocks? And you may say, you know what? Well, stocks aren't as appealing under that circumstance because I can get a guaranteed 10% at the bank. Right. So again, same thing. With rates moving, there is an adjustment that is essentially made for the valuation. The second adjustment that's made is recessionary times or growth times, right? Uh, if you enter into a, into a recession, there's a re-rating of stocks down significantly on their price earnings till they adjust to the where they should be. And uh, if you're in a, a, an absolute growth phase and expansionary phase, you see that as well on the other side. There's kind of similar situations, but from different sides of the plate, depending on how things go. Right now, there's some uncertainty. But the Fed dropping their transitory is something, and thought of that as going to be more more hawkish, even though they seem dovish all this time. Even though they're not seen right now in bond prices, this move, 
The thought is that longer-term rates are going to be higher, and therefore multiples should not be as expansive in this environment, which is right back to what we've talked about with the discussion with Briefing Road. And in recession, some re-rating of economic activity is going to slow uh, down the, the potential for growth, and no one wants to pay up for the slower growth. So that's what happened to DocuSign last week. Not a recession, but you know what? Their growth in the future is slower. The convergence of issues right now is what's really driving the hysteria, which I think is a little bit overdone here. And when I look at things like the advanced decline line, the Spearman indicator, uh, our, we build a key reversal indicator, the um, McClellan oscillator, all these things are starting to point to, you know, we're getting to a point that may be a reasonable place. If we could see the, the, the stock charts level off, consolidate along a level of um, a line of support and then start thinking about, okay, where do we want to be? The fact that the VIX is so high right now is, is, is a warning sign that the expectation of volatility in the future is much higher. And when you have an expectation of higher volatility, and in fact, there is volatility, it's much more difficult to buy into something and feel comfortable about it. Because it could be whipsawed all over the place. You buy something, it's down 8%. You're like, ah, maybe I should get out of this. Whereas if there's less volatility, you buy something, maybe it's only down 2% in a little bit of a market move. You're like, okay, I could tolerate that. When we have the, have the excess volatility, though, it creates a lot more trading that goes on that can create more trading, right? Trading, selling, begets more selling. Buying begets more buying. The same thing that we've seen with the short squeezes and the push into various places of the market can just as easily come out of the market. So realize this convergence of issues right now is really what we need to focus in on. Until we can find out what the heck this Omicron is all about, is it really going to be much more uh, deadly or not? Is it that much more transmissible or not? Is it more like just the common cold? Or not? I don't know. I have no idea. I really don't, then I don't care. But the markets care. The markets need to figure that all out and figure out what the Fed means. Frankly, my opinion, bad timing on the Fed, as usual. Just when they probably shouldn't have talked about this whole issue of really cranking up the, or the slowdown of the bond purchases, should have done it a year ago. Not now at the peak of the economic expansion. Kind of crazy. Pretty crazy. All right, with that, we're going we're gonna to focus in on the convergence. We're going to look at charts. We're going to look at fundamentals. We're going to think about what's happening in the economy, realize that things aren't that bad, but there are some overriding factors right now that are causing some uh, decay and problems and, and worry. So think about that. We're going to look at, hey, what are the opportunities that arise from all this? Like when I went and looked at rates and I looked at the value of the dollar, I looked at the opportunities and I looked at the places that I could add things in a portfolio, led me down the path to look at emerging market bonds and farm bonds unhedged and a few other areas in value, et cetera. Those are the kind of things I want you to think about. Do I want you to jump in with both hands right now because DocuSign is down 42% on Friday? No. Let's wait for the basing. The charting is your best friend. Watch out for the volatility. Realize that volatility, if you're not a strong holder in it, it's going to kick you out. So right now, let's have some scrutiny. Let's have some restraint. Let's uh, kind of look at this in a way 
that, you know what? Let me step back. Always, you know, the old step back. Let's step back. Take a look. What's happening? And pick your points. Pick your entry points. You're not doing this for today or tomorrow. You're doing this for the next 20 years, right? Think about it that way. Listen, make sure you are registered for the webinar that's coming up on the 15th. We'll have a lot more of this kind of discussion. Also, your questions will be answered as well. You can go over to thedisciplineinvestor.com and, and uh, complete the registration, which is free for the webinar, 5 p.m. December 15th. Listen, thank you so much for joining me. Make sure to follow me on Twitter, Andrew Horowitz, one word. Next week, Ross Gerber. That's going to be a fun uh, discussion, I promise you that. <laughs> We're going to be talking about the metaverse, and it's going to be a lot of uh, good and interesting information because I'm going to really try to push the envelope on what's next uh, in, in the world of, um, uh, of technology and, and cool things. So we'll be covering that all next week. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you again next week. in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company. 